Welcome to my Love Life Podcast, episode number 134, Self-Absorbed, Self-Centered, or Self-Care. It's October 21st, 2023. I'm your host, Lisa A. Lundy, author, blogger, YouTuber, motivational speaker, and so on. I am also a member of the Newsweek Expert Forum. I help people be happy, healthy, and well-loved even when life is extremely difficult. As my disclaimer, this podcast does not constitute medical or therapy advice in any way. My music is by Howie Moscovich. Self-absorbed, self-centered, or self-care. Today, we're going to sort this out because none of these things are necessarily all bad. Some of them are all good and really give you some facility with these very critical and important ideas or concepts. A couple notes. I am recording this podcast without a microphone because my microphone broke, like my laptop, like a whole bunch of bones in my body. And I am recording it from a rehab center where I'm recovering from a major car accident. There may be some background noise. I'll try to, you know, tune that out. I'm doing the best I can with the environment that I have. So that's that. Hopefully in a few days to a week, I'll have a new microphone. And so just bear with me. Now, I want you to know that I am not a medical therapist or medical professional in any, in any capacity, and nothing that I say in this podcast or any of my podcasts or videos or other written material is designed to be taken as medical or therapy advice. You should get your medical or therapy advice from a licensed therapist or a licensed medical provider. If you are listening to this podcast and life is too hard for you, you feel hopeless, you feel suicidal, you think the world would be better off without you, which I promise you the world would not be better off without you, I want you to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That number again is 1-800-273-8255. Please talk about it. Please tell people. Please take action. You are worth it, and there is help available. If you happen to be from the deaf or hard of hearing community, I do have transcripts for all of my podcasts on my hosting platform, rss.com. And someday, next year, I will have probably transcripts on my website. We had them, and, and we made some changes, so now we don't. All right, let's dive right in. So what is what is the whole point of this conversation? Well, first of all, in the U.S. and in the world, we have way too many people, way, way, way too many people who are not engaging in self-care and have no idea what I mean. Then we have a certain other segment of the population that are fall into the either self-centered or self-absorbed population category. And this is important that you understand the distinction between these because without that understanding, you might be engaging in very healthy self-care, but someone might criticize you, condemn you, or you know, be very nasty to you 
falsely accusing you of being self-absorbed or self-centered when you're actually practicing healthy self-care. So to me, since one of my primary foundational platforms for healthy life is rock solid self-care, I do want you to understand what self-care is, but also have the context so that you don't have to defend yourself when people criticize you or condemn you. <laughs> I have a whole podcast about that. But in your own mind, if you understand you are simply operating in a, in a way, a healthy way to take care of yourself, hopefully then you're not going to be left feeling bad. Now, I want you really to make these distinctions clear because self-absorbed and self-centered aren't inherently bad. They can be, but they're not inherently bad. So to start this out, I'm going to use some definitions so we're all on the same page because self-absorbed and self-centered can, if taken to the extreme, if, if it becomes excessive or it becomes sustained or inflexible or other certain kind of area conditions or degrees, it can be a sign of a, of a big problem. So self-absorbed, according to the research, typically, typically is defined as Someone who is self-centered, self-obsessed, self-obsessed, egotistical, selfish, and preoccupied with their own selves. Now, if you take it to the extreme, one of the things that I, <laughs> I learned about is something that's called a transdiagnosis, transdiagnosis, transdiagnostic process, which can be a kind of a clue to emotional disorders or mental health disorders. And so self-absorption uh, can be uh, one of those transdiagnostic processes. And what that does is it means um, it's a label, transdiagnostic process is a label given to a mechanism or behavior or something which is present across disorders and is either a risk or maintaining factor for the disorder. So that's just kind of like one of these things, what I'm saying here in that is that being self-absorbed or self-centered can be involved in other uh, disorders in and of itself. If it's not excessive, it's not to the extreme or it doesn't involve other things, it's not. But this is important for you to know because we do have some people who are self-centered or self-absorbed who actually fall into a mental health disorder. Now, self-centered is defined as preoccupied with oneself or one's affairs, a focus on one's own needs, desires, preferences, and problems. And this, again, is what is important is about the aspect is to the extreme. So being self-centered can be at the root of many psychiatric illnesses, including addictions, personality disorders, anxiety disorders, and depression. So that's one piece. But at the, I want to say this to be fair, there are times in a person's life when the most responsible, reasonable, and healthy thing to do is to be self-centered. So for example, if you have a big problem, say all your money was stolen and all your assets were stolen, what would be prudent and responsible and reasonable would be to focus your energies 
on making money and taking care of your finances because you've been left with nothing but debt perhaps, which happens commonly. That's a common situation. It would be irresponsible to walk around pretending that you don't have financial difficulties. So sometimes being self-centered is not bad. Sometimes when you're self-centered, you're focused on solving problems or you might have someone you're caregiver for. Well, then you're going to be handling your life and taking care, whether it's a special needs child or an aging parent. You know, so you want to be reasonable and look at the totality of the relationship and the situation before you cast off some judgment. Oh, you're just self-centered. I mean, I did have to say to my children, I have big problems right now, so I have to be focused on solving them because this is this is the situation. Well, they already knew, but it was it would be irresponsible not to take care of my problems. So you have to kind of look at the whole picture. Now, self-care. Self-care is the practice of taking actions to preserve or to improve your own health. That can be mental health, physical health, emotional health. It's taking an active role in protecting your own well-being and happiness, in particular during times of stress. Personally, here at the Love Life podcast channel, I want everyone to do self-care every day and not wait until life is stressful and then start doing self-care. So when you're doing self-care, you're taking care of your mental health, your emotional health, your physical body, your environment, your relationships, whatever is in your life, in your space, so that you are thriving and doing well as a person. I do have a podcast about self-care and self-compassion, which will talk about all kinds of aspects. It's not just your physical body. It is also your emotional body, your emotional, your, your emotions and your mental state. And sometimes that means having boundaries or other things, which I'll talk about. So that's self-care. So we have self-centered, self-absorbed, and self-care. With the, with the caveat that taken to an extreme or other, under certain conditions, that being self-centered could be at the root of a psychiatric illness or addictions, personality disorders, anxiety disorders, and depression. Last thing before I move on is the narcissistic personality disorder. Well, we're hearing a lot more in the public domain about narcissists, which is a good thing. I, I did see somebody comment saying, I'm sick and tired of hearing about narcissists. Wow. Well, I don't know what to say about that. That was kind of shocking. But narcissistic personality disorder is a mental health condition in which people have un an unreasonably high sense of their own importance. They need and seek so much attention and want people to admire them. People with narcissistic personality disorder may lack the ability to understand or care about the feelings of others. So one of the things I want to mention here about narcissistic personality disorder is we think of narcissistic personality disorder, I think, in my opinion, kind of on the extreme. But we have some people that I have met and have known in the past or have crossed paths with who are a little more stealth about their narcissistic personality disorder. And they are much more difficult to pin, pinpoint. And I'm gonna talk about some other research which will 
I think help help you maybe better understand some of the stealth narcissistic personality disorders. So um, one of the things that's important as we're so we're making the distinctions between self-absorbed, self-centered, and self-care is that you know part of self-awareness, which is a hallmark of emotional skills and emotional intelligence, you know has a little bit of focus on yourself because you're looking at yourself for your weaknesses, you're looking at yourself for your strengths, you're trying to get an accurate perception of how you're perceived in the world and your relationships with other people. So there are points of, of looking at yourself that are not going to fall into being self-centered or self-absorbed. Now there is some very interesting research by Christina B.L. Adams, who is a medical doctor, and Homer B. Martin, who is also a medical doctor, those two people have written a book uh, called Living on Automatic, How Emotional Conditioning Shapes Our Lives and Relationships. Now what Christina Adams, Dr. Christina Adams and Dr. Homer Martin, they have spent 40 years of their lives, of their careers, studying people and relationships and they lay out something that's called an impotent personality and how the impotent personality functions in life and I think this is just stunning so I'm going to read a quote from Dr. Adams and Dr. Martin's book Living on Automatic How Emotional Conditioning Shapes Our Lives and Relationships here's a quote quote use the word impotent to mean helpless ineffective weak lacking in vigor and unable to take effective action. We discovered that characteristics of impotent personality include being demanding, capricious, irresponsible, arrogant, whimsical, and insatiable. Such people have inflated self-worth. They blame others for their own deficiencies and have tunnel vision. Their commitment to relationships is conditional and not steadfast. So this is where um, people who have maybe a narcissistic tendency can kind of not come across as a narcissist. You wouldn't necessarily go, oh yeah, that's a narcissist because they might fall under this impotent personality type of thing where they're like, they're demanding or they're arrogant. I'm just pointing out because I have met people and it was, it was quite the feat to figure out. Now, some of them, I think, were um, emotional reasoners, which I'll talk about. So self-care. I want to dive into this, and I'm actually going to bring up an example that really, really upset me that's floating around on the Internet. And I, I want to really get you grounded in some of the bad advice and bad information that's out here. It's just really scary. So... Some people are going to use emotions or other behaviors or tactics to make you feel bad for taking care of yourself. So they're going to view your actions of doing what's good for you, doing what's healthy for you, reasonable, and make you feel bad. And that's, that's not okay, that's not healthy. That's, that's, that is them kind of bullying or browbeating. It's, it's not a healthy behavior. So 
if you are not engaging in self-care every day, that would be something I would highly recommend. Highly, highly, highly. <laughs> I'm telling you. Look, you want to have a great life. You want to be healthy. Yes, you want to be healthy. We No, you want other people to take care of you? Okay, then you might be a martyr or victim. But yes, I would hope you would like to be healthy. And self-care starts right there. Just starts right there. So you can go listen to that podcast. But it's not just about your diet or your sleep or your or your it's about your socializing. It's about having boundaries. It's about having spiritual and mental practices and habits, hobbies, exercise, taking care of things that that make life work for you. I mean, I'm a big fan of getting enough sleep. And I used to get quite a bit of grief from my kids when I would, if we were watching a superhero movie or something, or I don't know, some some series, and I would go, oh, look at the time. Oh, what time are, what, what do we, when do we need to be out the door tomorrow? What's the schedule? And sometimes I would just say, all right, I'm out. And I would go to bed because sleep is important to me. It's one of the things that really makes me happy. And I'm a good sleeper. So that's what I do. Now, a lot of people have trouble sleeping because, probably because of trauma. But anyway, so understand that you doing things to take care of yourself that don't harm other people is not bad. But some people will get upset. They will get annoyed. They will get angry. They will get perturbed. They will get all kinds of things if you are taking care of yourself. So it is important, to my opinion, for you to understand that as long as you're not harming another person, self-care is where it's at and where to begin. Now, this next piece is the example from the internet, from some other person who does something similar to what I do. So there was a caller who called in about their mother-in-law. Now, the mother-in-law happened to leave the family. So the mother-in-law left her husband and the family when the kids were all grown. Kids were out of the house. The the mother-in-law and her husband had been married for a long time. For whatever reason, she left her husband and left the kids, even though they were adults and out of the house, and was gone for some number of years, five years or what have you. So the caller who's calling in is giving this background. Of course, it's painful if an adult child is abandoned by a parent. It's very painful if a child is abandoned by a parent. It's it's painful for a child or an adult child to be abandoned by a parent at any point in their life. But the mother finally got whatever help she needed or got herself sorted out or did whatever she had to do. And she was in touch with this caller's husband that she wanted to apologize and make peace and and have a relationship. Now, the the caller, which is this man's wife, uh, is making the case to this other social media person that that the mother-in-law, her mother-in-law, should not be allowed back in the family. Her husband should not have any contact with his mother. The the mother-in-law should be, you know, iced out, you know, sent off to Siberia, and it was inappropriate for her husband to have communication with his own mother. Now, the husband, according to this caller, her husband wanted to have a 
communication with his mother. Wanted to see about repairing the relationship and be in touch with his mother. But here is the wife calling in and, and sa complaining, saying this should not be allowed. Now, the person she calls into agrees with her. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That woman should not be allowed back in the family. You're right. I agree with you. Yes, you're so right. And oh, by the way, if your husband doesn't agree with you, you got big problems in your marriage. Okay, let me just give you some psychology here. First of all, it is a trauma for most people, children or adults, to be abandoned by a parent. That is mostly a trauma. It's not what you expect. And so when it happens, it's deeply, deeply problematic and painful. And when people have trauma, it can make them physically ill. It can cause mental health problems. It's a problem. So when you have a trauma, the best thing for trauma is to heal from the trauma. That's, that's, that's what the doctor would order. You don't throw salt into a trauma and uh, acid and then hope it's going to heal. You have to actually do something to heal trauma. So here's a man who wants to see what will happen with his mother who hurt him deeply and the wife throwing down the gauntlet to say, no, I'm not having it. And in this case, so my one of my areas of expertise is emotions, one of them. So in this case, what the wife is saying and the um, person in the social media interview is agreeing, they are agreeing that in this case, the wife's feelings, the wife's emotions trump and are more important than her husband's. That's the bottom line is that the wife's feelings should be honored over her husband's. And let me just tell you people, that is a big sign of a narcissist or a domest of domestic abuse. Because a healthy, a mentally, emotionally healthy wife would be saying, wow, you know what? She really hurt you. She hurt your whole family. She hurt you deeply. It's been hard to watch you go through that. But wow, you are being brave and courageous to, to take a journey to see what kind of healing might happen. And I love you and I support you. And let me know how I can help you. I hope you can see that these are two extremely different approaches. And I was so angry listening to this podcaster pontificate with no basis in psychology and actually very harmful uh, you know, suggestion to the caller that now is out there so people will see, see, I'm right. This is what perpetuates mental health and illness. This is exactly what perpetuates it. Can you tell I'm so mad? Because we don't strip people of their dignity. We do not strip people of their right to their emotions and their feelings, which is what the podcaster and caller did. That's, and if they were successful, this man will be stripped of an opportunity that is golden for his health, for his mental health, for his well-being, for the family, for his mother. I mean, here's the bottom line. There's the other bottom line. People make mistakes. Yes. Some parents get addicted to drugs. Some parents are hoarders. Some parents, you know, cheat and lie and do all kinds of bad things. People make mistakes. That's the reality. 
I'm not perfect, and I don't want to live in a world where I have to be perfect. So all you perfectionists can get over on one side because, like, you're no fun people. You're, like, you're painful. You are painful people. And if nobody told you that, I'm here to tell you. Perfectionists are problems. So I don't want to live in a world where I have to be perfect. I want to live in a world where love dominates, love and affection, forgiveness and compassion. Compassion for the human condition. And the human condition is we sometimes make mistakes. Some are big, some are huge, some are not so bad. But most people are doing the best they can. And when you have a wife or a husband who is going to dominate and control their spouse's relationships with other people, that is in and of itself the biggest red flag raving, waving for abuse, for domestic abuse or narcissist or a psychopath or some other mental health condition. So I think I'm, I'm done with my rant on that little, that podcast. Like, yeah, so go find it and tell them you're, you're messed up. You messed up. Better take, better take that podcast down whoever that was. No, that's, that's wrong. Okay. Your emotions do not trump somebody else's emotions. This is one of the problems in society. Now, when two people are married and they have conflicting emotions, that's when you get into negotiating, but you don't make one person's emotions, you don't minimize or dismiss or demean one person's emotions. And I could say more, but I think you get it. So how does someone become self-absorbed? Because I would say that that caller and that example is a good example of someone who's very self-absorbed. Well, first of all, by example, so if your parents were self-absorbed or self-obsessed or that type of thing, uh, self-centered, that would be, that would be, they would role model that for you. Trauma certainly will allow some people to move into, to segue into being self-centered or self-absorbed. Um, early rejection or social or family, bullying, being socially isolated can help that uh, come to pass. And there's, there's many other ways. So, so it's not, it's, not, it's a common condition because abuse is common, bullying is common, and there are a lot of byproducts when you have self-absorbed parents. So if you grew up in a household where your father or mother or stepmother or father or someone who was caregiving to you was kind of self-absorbed, that could have left you feeling, uh, dealing with depression, academic failure. You could be kind of a hermit or socially withdrawn. You could be suicidal or, you could, or people commit suicide as a result. Because really, if you've got a self-absorbed parent, then it's all about them. And when you're a parent and you have children, it's got to be about nurturing, loving, and contributing, and fostering your child's growth and development, and your child having skills to be able to flourish in the world. And self-absorbed parents are incapable of doing that. Substance abuse, addictions, eating disorders, low self-esteem, Many children who have really self-absorbed parents or parent or sub-parent will end up running away. Um, anxiety is a very common byproduct. And also codependent relationships or people-pleasing. So, so the impact on children being raised in a home where one or more of the parents are self-absorbed is extremely negative. And by the way, if you have someone who is a psychopath, Oh, that is completely self-absorbed or self-centered. And if someone is a sociopath, also self-centered, self-absorbed, and there are some other 
mental health disorders that would, would have this hallmark of being self-absorbed. So it's not just what I've covered so far. Psychopath, for sure. I know a lot about, <laughs> I know a lot about psychopath and the psychopath checklist and Dr. Robert Hare from Canada. And, the, you know, so, so this is not good, but, we, but it's common. So for you, let's assume you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, hmm, Oh, am I self-absorbed? Or, or you might have someone in your life who is. Where, where's a good place to start? I'm going to give you a couple su suggestions in a minute. But the first thing I have to say about this is to deal with rational thinking and the role of rational thinking. According to the research, it seems like it's a very high percentage of people in the world who are irrational. I haven't settled on the consensus. I don't give statistics unless I feel very confident that the statistics will hold up time and time again and we have agreement or we have some consensus. When I don't have that kind of figure, I'll give a range. Or if the, like, for, for example, the consensus and by agreement is that up to 85% or 85% of the world's population has low self-esteem. That seems, there seems to be no disagreement about that statistic. But rational thinking and irrational thinking, those numbers are, are not agreed upon or even really widely written about it at this point. So if you happen to have irrational thinking, it is very synonymous to me or analogous to if you had um, you know, blinders on. If you had blinders on, depending on what kind of blinders you had, you wouldn't be able to see very well. You might be, you might be able to see a little. You might be able to see it uh, only in front of you. If you had a certain kind of blinder, you might only be able to see to one side. Or if you had, if you were in a carnival funhouse of mirrors, if you've been in one of those, you you know that you're looking at an image. What you know is it's distorted, because you know you're in a carnival funhouse mirror building. But most people who have irrational thinking do not know that they have irrational thinking. They don't know it. So they're unaware that they're not getting the full picture. They're unaware that they're not getting all of the information. And we call irrational thinking, uh, we call it a cognitive distortion. That's what it's known as in psychology. And what does that mean? That means that your thinking is flawed. Your thinking is distorted. Your thinking is not accurate. Well, how would that impact your life? If your thinking was flawed, inaccurate, well, first of all, it would, it would make for in, inappropriate decisions because your perceptions would be off. And if your perceptions are off, your decisions would be off and lots of things would be off. So the first thing to consider is rational thinking versus irrational thinking. And listen, anything you can change anything about yourself. We know that to be a fact because of neuroplasticity of the brain. We know that. It will take stimuli, it will take practice, it will take some, some actual intentional actions to change, but you can deal with a cognitive distortion and move from irrational thinking to rational thinking. You can do that. Because why would you want a, a life where your perceptions are off? I don't know. I, I, that just for me is like, I'm interested in the truth. I'm interested in living this amazing life. And thank you, yes I have. 
<laughs> even having an amazing life in rehab, I, I will tell you, I'll have some good rehab stories. Um, well, emotional reasoners, which is a form of a cognitive distortion, they are often self-absorbed. And, and emotional reasoners, in my opinion, is one of the harder cognitive distortions to pick up on. If someone is black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking or magical thinking or leaps in logic, some of those cognitive distortions or irrational thinking forms are a little easier to pick up on because in a conversation, someone will say, well, well, we just might as well just stop doing it then because it's never going to work, you know, and you can kind of pick up on, oh, it's either all or nothing or it's black or white. But emotional reasoning, reasoners or emotional reasoning, in my opinion, and my experience is much more subtle. So you oftentimes have to get to know a person much more, but what emotional reasoning is, someone who's an emotional reasoner uses their emotions as if they're facts and then reasons with their emotions as if they're facts. Well, you're mo it could be a fact that you're mad, but the fact that you're mad is not the logical facts you would use to reason with or make it, you know, to come to a de deduce an idea or, you know. So when you're talking to someone who's an emotional reasoner and you say, oh, well, why don't you like them? Well, I don't like them. Well, well, is there, is there any basis? And they can't give you facts. They can only give you their emotions because they use their emotions to reason. So they've come up with the fact that they don't like them purely based on their emotions, not based on the fact that, oh, well, he stole my money. That's a fact. Well, you'd be upset because he stole your money, but the fact is he wrecked your car and stole your money. Those are two facts, wrecked your car, stole your money. So anyway, this is a problem, and it's going to impact whether you, how you are in life and whether you're self-absorbed, self-centered, and in, in your whole self-care. So when you have a preoccupation with your own life and problems, that's not necessarily bad. And I don't want anyone to make you feel bad if you are working to better your life. Because sometimes people have to step away from either their posse, their tribe, their family, their co whoever, and really dig down and do some work on themselves. They might have to withdraw, they might have to cocoon, they might have to just kind of retreat and deal with themselves, deal with their problems. That does not make someone self-centered or self-absorbed if you're dealing with the problem. When you have problems or issues in life, the most responsible thing to do is deal with them. And sometimes, like if you have a if you have a big problem, people like all your money being stolen and assets late in life and being left with debt, you've got a big problem. So it's going to take a, a concerted, focused effort to right that ship. So that would be being responsible, and 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 sometimes people can use their own emotions to try to bully you or make you feel bad when you're dealing with your problems. And I don't recommend that. So here's some just very simple suggestions. Um, number one, make sure you are doing self-care every day. Every, I mean, every day. Every day I take a shower, clean up. And, and even, in, even in the hospital, people, I had, a, I had my good friend <laughs> bring me an eyelash curler, 
black eyeliner and black mascara and a mirror to the hospital within the first week and a half or whatever. Thank you, Kim, for doing that. Because I do my self-care. I'm going to do my self-care even if I'm in the in the hospital for a couple of weeks because I feel better when I'm all clean. I feel better when I have, I mean, listen, I don't wear foundation. I don't wear blush. I don't wear nail polish. I don't wear lots of all, I mean, see these, these TikToks and these videos, people putting on like, oh my God, it must take them 20 minutes to put their face on. Good for you ladies. Yay, yay, yay. Or men, whoever. Uh, no, that's not me. I am like kind of all natural. But for me, even being in the hospital, my little Two little things I use, mascara and eyeliner, then I felt like normal. But we have people who are saying, well, I don't have time to take care of myself. That, I'm not saying you have all the time in the world because we have people who are struggling to get through the day. However, if you start with my podcast, start making some very small changes, you will be able to have time to take care of yourself. I promise you. You can start with my time management podcast. I mean, listen, it's an excuse that will, for some people is grounded in reality because their life's a mess or they're not functional. They don't have skills to get through life. So therefore they say, I don't have time. And for them, that's their reality. Where in fact, if they got a little more organized, they had a little more help, they could work in some self-care and get really good at it. You want to be the boss and self-care. Unless you're gonna be that self-absorbed or self-centered that you're gonna make other people take care of you. I mean, you're either taking care of yourself or someone's taking care of you or you're dead. So take care of yourself unless you wanna just be selfish. And you know, we do have people who are selfish. We do have people who are martyrs. We do have people who play the victims. There's nothing we can do about some of those people. And I'm not even interested in, in going there. So number one, self-care. And my podcast will kind of lay it out in, in enough detail. You'll have plenty of ideas of where to start. Number two, healthy boundaries. Establish healthy boundaries. This is a, a cornerstone to mental and emotional health and well-being. Why? You don't want to be abused. You don't want to be taken advantage of. And you want your life to work. You want your life to work for you. You're you. You're not him or her or they or them or whoever. You're you. You know what works for you. And what works for you doesn't work for everybody else. So set up boundaries so that your life works. And then you will at some point probably have to let people know, oh, yes, I don't do that. That's one of my boundaries. Oh, I don't do that. That's one of my boundaries. Um, I mean, there's certain things I just don't talk about because it's a boundary because it upsets me and I don't like it. I mean, I, I don't like talking about cancer. I have a lot of research. I know I could talk for probably eight hours about cancer. That's how much I know. But I don't talk about it because it makes me furious. And why would I want to talk about something that makes me furious and I can do nothing about? Well, then I won't even say any more than that. But Boundaries will help you be happier, be healthier, be more emotionally stable and well, and not lead to being taken advantage of, feelings of anger or resentment and frustration. So establish healthy boundaries. And unfortunately, we have a segment of the population, don't know the number, that has almost no boundaries. And they cross people's boundaries. And sometimes they cross people's boundaries and then pretend, oh no, that's, this is just how our family does it. 
That is a BS line. I actually called somebody out on that because they did. They rained on somebody's parade. They crossed boundaries. They were they were they were actually it was a perfect example of uh, you know of an impotent personality that's actually a narcissist and making somebody in the family the scapegoat. Like it was it took a long time for me to put that together, but establish healthy boundaries. Some people will be mad if you do that. That's okay. It's probably a clue that they're not really on your team. They're actually drilling holes in your boat, or they only want you to succeed as long as they get something out of it. So establish healthy boundaries. My last suggestion, because I'm making it really easy, is to focus on love and happiness. Oh my heavens, people. Love, 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 love. That's what's missing. It's what's missing in the world. Like, love people. I mean, it doesn't have to be romantic. You know, it could be platonic. I love lots of people in a platonic way. And then someday, eventually, I'm going to have a romantic partner, and that will be really fun. I know. It's coming. I've been talking about it for years, but it will, it will show up when it's meant to show up. But integrate love and affection into your life. Now, for some of you, you have a romantic partner and that's not going well. Well, get it sorted out. Clean up your relationship or get divorced. I mean, like, I don't know. We have a lot of people in the world who just suffer. I'm not a fan of suffering. I'm like, the, like, I have suffered extremely, like, in extreme ways in a lifetime. I've had a very difficult life, very, a lot of trauma, and I've also had just the happiest and most miraculous life you could imagine. It's really been a miraculous life. So I've had both of those things at the same time. But for you, bring in love, bring in affection, and bring in happiness. And not the happiness where you're happy if you get X or Y. Not the kind of happiness where, oh, when I get married, when I get a boyfriend, when I get a girlfriend, when I have the right job, when I have the right house, when I have the right car, when I actually have kids, or when my kids are out of the house. No, that's conditional happiness. That is not good. That's how people do happiness. That's not how I do happiness. I do happiness as a separate entity from my circumstances. And thank you, God, for that. Can you imagine if my happiness was tied to my circumstances? How happy could I possibly be almost dying, not being able to walk, all these broken bones, in a wheelchair, you know, and, and rehab? Like, we're, you know, at the end of October, it'll be two months. Would I be happy? No, I would be upset, angry, depressed, and terrible. But I found happiness, yes, even in the hospital, even in rehab, and because I do happiness separate from the conditions of my life. It's what I recommend. It's powerful. So that gives you the distinctions between at least the highlights for self-absorbed, self-centered, and self-care. Put love and affection, happiness, boundaries, and self-care into your life. Then notice how other people are. Notice other people's reactions. You may be trauma bonded with some family members, with some siblings, with some other relatives, with your spouse, with your kids, with your partner, with your co- like you could be trauma bonded even at work and therefore you would you most likely would be blind to that in my opinion. Because I know, I just found out about trauma bonding, betrayal, betrayal trauma, 
trauma, blindness. No, it's, it's betrayal, trauma, betrayal, blindness, institutional betrayal, and trauma bonding. I just found out about that earlier this year. And then I'm going, oh, I think I was trauma bonded. Oh, oh, yes, I was definitely. And I see it now because I can see it in my own life. I can see it in other people's lives. So no matter what, you can have a great life and don't let people shame you or judge or, or, or control you at, per that example I gave and tell you that your emotions aren't important, your healing's not important, your life's not important. So that's it for now. I hope you found this valuable. Take care. I'm Lisa Lundy saying thank you for listening to my Love Life podcast, episode number 134, Self-Absorbed, Self-Centered, or Self-Care. I hope that you got some new ideas on taking care of yourself and the difference between these topics and that you can use this information to improve your life. Please subscribe so you get my new podcast automatically because, of of course, you would never want to miss one. Share this podcast on social media. Oh, hint, hint, especially if you know anybody who might be self-absorbed or self-centered or maybe isn't taking care of themselves. I love you. Hang in there for now. Take care. That's all.